0: Good morning, Crosswalk. Great to see you. Glad to have you here. Hope it was a phenomenal day. Hope that worship has just inspired you and um, made you glad and put you in a great place. And we're continuing this week in our Deconstruction series. My name is Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor here at Redlands, but I'm the teaching pastor for Crosswalk Churches all across the globe. And it's great to be here with you. And if you were with us in Redlands today, we have some... Um, we have some visitors. We've got some visitors that have come in from some of our potential sites that are checking it out and learning about crosswalk, and so we want to welcome them. I guess that doesn't matter so much for you. But if you are graduating, we want to honor you today and let you know that we're praying for you, that we're thinking about you. Graduations can be stressful times. It means a change in season in life. It means things are going to be a little bit different. It means that you've got to make decisions, or maybe you've already made decisions about what's next. But just take a moment and congratulate yourself for a job well done. It's pretty Amazing, um, for sure. And lastly, if you're watching on the screen, next week will be Isaiah's last week with us to preach. And then he'll be here until the 17th, if you know who Isaiah is. He is our worship and creative arts pastor here at, at Redlands. And he's been just a phenomenal, phenomenal um, pastor and worker and creative mind. He's moving on to different pastors, and so we want to honor him. But he'll be preaching next week, and so make sure you can show up and give him the love that he deserves. Now, last week in this series, we talked about revelation and inspiration. And hopefully, it's a question of how this understanding gets to us. And maybe we, you know, maybe you learned a little bit, maybe you understood a little bit more. But now we need to look at how we interpret these words, because the truth is we do interpret everything. The perfect example that I like to use, and you've heard me use it before, so I won't linger on it, is the idea of a stop sign. We all interpret a stop sign differently, even though it means the same thing. And depending on when you show up to that stop sign, you interpret it differently as well. And this can go on for lots and lots of different things. But I know, listen, you want to say, listen, why make this so complicated? Right, And I'm sorry, I, I don't want things to be complicated. We want things to just be simple. Why can't they be simple? I mean, we want to say something like, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. So we're not trying to make things so complicated. But in fact, these are words that have been thrown out at us, at us before. Like, just, just use a plain reading of Scripture right? If you can just do that, then you'll understand everything that Scripture says. And I love that. And that doesn't all get us to the same place. You know that there's something like 33,000 denominations, Christian denominations, just in North America alone. 33,000. That's a ton. Some have like, you know, 25 people in them, but they're considered denominations, right? When I read Scripture and when you read Scripture, the truth is that we bring all that we have to Scripture. And that gives us some extraneous information that might change what we think it means, right? We bring our childhood. We bring our upbringing. We bring our hopes, our dreams, our desires. We bring our personalities. We bring our theological bent. some of the things that we know and some of the things that we don't know. We bring all this to the table. And so a plain reading of Scripture is never just a plain reading of Scripture, because if it was, and we were all the same, we would all land in the same place, but we don't, right? So does that mean we can't read Scripture? And of course not. That's, not. that's not what I said. Of course we can, and of course we should. But we should also be committed to studying Scripture, right? That goes beyond just a simple reading. Now, how can you know context? How can you know commentary? Truthfully, how can you know history, and even cultural context without a deeper study of Scripture than we might get from just a plain reading of Scripture. Because there's a lot of surrounding resources that are really helpful to us. So it's not just reading Scripture, it's also studying Scripture. And I believe that the study of Scripture is a sacred journey. It's also one of the spiritual disciplines, right? So it's one of these things that we not only need to do, but we've been called to do, we should do, and it needs to be part of our practice Right? So read for sure, but study as well. I mean, this is one of the reasons why we do series guides so that you're in Scripture pretty much every day. right? But it's also important to know where you are on a faith development scale. right? And that may be a lot for a Sabbath morning, but there's a lot of different faith development scales because that's one of the things, where you are on a faith development scale has a tendency to to impact your interpretation of Scripture and what you believe it to say, right? You, how you understand Scripture has a great deal to do with where you are on a continuum of understanding your own faith development. The truth is your faith development makes a difference, right? Some of us have been stunted. We stopped growing in faith when we were 10, 11, 12 years old, for whatever reason, something happened, something didn't happen, we lost interest, like sometimes we were abused, like there's a lot of different things. But we're all on our own continuum and a church's job, in my opinion, is to help you along the path, right? That's really what discipleship is in some respects. Discipleship, to be a disciple means to be a learner. To be a learner means that you're hopefully continuing to grow in faith, grow in understanding, and hopefully that helps you with your stages of faith development. And by the way, there's just a ton of different continuums of faith development. There's a lot of, we call them faith development scales. I put a bunch here behind me if you can't see it, there's the wide shot. it's just a lot, right? We're not going to go through every single one. And I mean, Blake's, Kierkegaard, Perry Fowler, Fowler's a big one, Kohlberg, Blanchard, Rick Hauer, Gravesbeck, Wilbur, Richard Rohr, even Gillespie, and not this Gillespie, my father Gillespie wrote his dissertation on faith development scales and created one for himself based on James Fowler's. And it's used all over the world today. But listen, <laughs> that's a lot. Right? So, so which one is right? Which one of these faith development scales encapsulates who I am and where I am on the journey? And the reason why this matters for deconstruction is because um, we bring that to the deconstructive conversation as well. The problem is asking the question, which one is right, is actually asking the wrong question, right? Because they all comment on the human condition and where we go and how we grow. Some more specifically, some perhaps a little bit less so. I've chosen, actually, today to linger a little bit on McLaren's stages of faith. Brian McLaren. Now, you may not like Brian McLaren. You may not like some of his writings. It's kind of postmodern, and some people, you know, don't don't agree with what he says. That's fine. But I think his model is kind of interesting, particularly when we take a look at it in, in the context of having faith after doubt, Right now he wrote a book on that. I'm not quoting through the book. I'm just saying these stages of faith have a tendency to help us when we're talking about faith after doubt, as well as some of the more complex issues we deal with in deconstruction. And see, faith after doubt is fair because doubt is not the killer of faith. In fact, Frederick Buechner says that doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. I love that illustration. Doubts are the ants of pants <laughs> ants in the pants of faith. They keep us awake and they keep us moving. And what I like about McLaren's stages is that there's just four, right? They're not too much because Fowler's got a lot, you know, all these different stages. So he's broken them down to four pretty simple stages that make sense. Now, I don't agree with everything that Brian McLaren says in any of his books. I don't agree with most of what most authors say in any of their books. And by the way, if you don't agree with somebody, take that what you do agree with and you know, you don't have to accept the stuff that you don't agree with. We don't have to be crazy and say, let's not read this book or that book because we can't learn something from it. We need to be better critical thinkers than that. God gave us a mind to agree, and God gave us a mind to disagree. And that's okay. We can do both those things. And by the way, everybody can do those things. So we should have access um, to all the information that's out there so we can make those decisions for ourselves. I like his engagement in faith and doubt. It's like he goes after it. Right? So we're just going to take a quick look at these four stages relatively quickly, because I want you to get them in your head. Um, And maybe it won't be as quick as we thought, but listen, the first one is simplicity. It's easy, right? This is a simple faith, right? In, In this, you're kind of either for us or against us, right? It's kind of all or nothing. You focus on right or wrong, good or bad, and it's kind of dualistic in its nature, right? Good or bad, black or white, pretty simple, right? Us versus them. Us versus the world, right? Us versus everyone at times. There's easy answers, and they are all there to be known, right? Pleasing authority is important, and authority means that they're God's representatives here on earth. They know, and they're more than happy to give the answers. Now, there's something beautiful about this, right? Because what we love about it is that We don't have to think too much. All the answers have been given to us. They're written down, whether they're in a creed or a statement. And and all we got to do is look at those, and that's what we believe. And if you don't believe like us, you're not part of us. And by the way, if you don't believe like us and you're not really part of us, then we don't really have to treat you all that well. Unfortunately, that's one of the things that happens too often. But again, there's easy answers, and they're all there, right? And the truth is relationships in this kind of model, in this simplicity stage, have a tendency to be dependent or codependent. If you were to ask someone who is in the simplicity stage, if you were to say like God is, and he'd be like, really? Well, he's the ultimate authority or he's the ultimate friend, right? The key moral question really has to do with what the authorities say. And there's strengths and there's weaknesses to this stage, right? The strength is that people have a tendency to be highly committed to this stage, right? They're highly committed to God in this stage. I'll put it that way. Right? They're willing to sacrifice. They're willing to suffer. They're also willing, and this is probably a weakness, willing to kill or inflict suffering or see people as less than. Sometimes it comes across as arrogant, simplistic, certainly combative at times, judgmental and intolerant. Right? This, is a, this is a tough stage, but it's a stage that, well, we've all been there. And some of us are still there right? Servants for these folks are either affirming or bad, right? They're either what we believe or they're bad, right? They agree or they're angry. And we all begin our faith journey somewhere, and this is a place where we have a tendency to begin because, you know, it's very concrete, right? When you're small, when you're little, and this, by the way, these, these McLaren stages are not kind of age- oriented, while some of the other ones certainly are a little bit where you go from concrete thinking to more abstract thinking, right? Even though you do that in some of these stages as well. So in the simplistic stage... pretty black or white. And you can actually get adherence and you can get followers pretty easy. And um, we certainly have this within our denomination. There's a simplistic understanding in certain types of um, churches and ter- certain types of institutions in our organization where, hey, here's the answer. All you have to do is follow it. Um, if you don't have the answer from scripture, we've got another place where you can get answers. And it's that's the authority and you just need to do what it says. And we have a tendency to quote that authority, sometimes more than scripture, which is dangerous in my book. Um, but hey, this is... There are people there. And, and there are people who, who believe really wonderful grace things but are still so simplistic in their understanding that they're still very kind of pugilistic and very fighting, right? Um, these people have a tendency to be great apologists. They'll come to your house. They'll, in a Bible study, they can be combative. Um, or they can be just really, you know, fervent. Okay, so, so simplicity is not the worst. But simplicity begs some questions, and the problem is, when you're in this stage, you can only deal with people that are in this stage because everything else is seen bad. So, the next stage, which we call complexity, which I'll get to in just a moment, well, that's dangerous. That's, we're pretty, we should be scared of complexity, right? So, let's move on to that next stage, right? Complexity, which is, it has a tendency to focus a little bit more on effectiveness or ineffectiveness right? Motive becomes a little more to reach goals, right? There's a complexity within this and um, it has a tendency to be pragmatic. Pragmatic, Certainly anything is doable and there are many ways to reach that goal. We all don't have to be going exactly the same way. It's not good or bad. There's lots of different ways to get to that same goal. Authority becomes kind of from those who are doing it, right? Again, pragmatic. Bad guys aren't effective because they don't do the right things, which is, which is really sort of interesting, right? Authorities are, are probably more coaches as they help you to succeed and grow in some ways. Life is a bit of a game. You can win it. You got to learn the rules. You got to play to win. Identity is the cause or the achievement, right? I am, I am this because this is what we do in complexity. We also understand That in complexity, you may look at the same thing in different ways, and that becomes a little bit more complex, right? If we were to answer the question of God is, we would say God is the ultimate guide or the ultimate coach. The key moral question is, does this help me succeed? So there's some great strengths and weaknesses about complexity as well, right? Enthusiasm is a strength. Idealism, action, those are all great and great words, but... A weakness would be that it can be superficial, perhaps naive, perhaps overly pragmatic, not necessarily leaning into the mystery that could be there. So, you know, people have a tendency to move from a simplistic understanding. I remember I remember one of the first times um, I'd asked my dad, hey, what do we believe about this thing? And he said, well, some people believe this and some people believe that and within our own faith tradition. And that was a complexity I had not figured out before. Because, you know, I've been in school and people just tell you the answers to the questions. Whether you're asking the questions or not doesn't really matter, but they're answering the questions that they're giving you. So you kind of have a this kind of continuum of understanding. And my dad said, well, some people believe this and some people believe that. I don't know. And I was like, what do you mean you don't know? And he's like, yeah, I don't know which one it is. It could be either one. I like this one a little bit more. I think it could be this one. It might be that one. I don't know. Now, that complexity was really... Con- concerning to me, right? Well, I wanted to know what was right or wrong. And he said, well, I think we do this no matter what, which one it is. It's is very pragmatic. Uh, that complexity is an interesting space. Again, in simplistic people have a tendency to minister to simplistic people, right? Complexity has a hard time understanding that simplicity, and simplicity sees that complexity as pretty bad. But if we want to move on to stage three, That would be perplexity, right? Everyone has an opinion. Who knows who is right? Many people are here. We have a tendency to stop trying in this phase, right? The focus becomes not so much right or wrong, but honest or dishonest, authentic or inauthentic, right? The motive is being honest, to to be authentic. Perception is that we can be a little bit relativistic and maybe a little bit critical. We don't like that right? By the way, the simplistics don't talk to the perplexics. Perplexics? Those who are involved in perplexity in that stage, they don't know what to do with them, right? Because they think that they've lost all truth. We talked about that a little bit, right? They think they've lost all truth. Their beliefs is like, well, little or or nothing is known or knowable. Everybody has an opinion. Good people are honest about their questions. It's not so much about the answers. You've heard me say some of this stuff. Right, Authorities have a tendency to be looked at as controllers or the enemy of trying to impose easy answers on the naive. And they often try to use the naive. We see this in churches and denominations and organizations all the time. If you were going to ask the question, God is what to them, they would say a mythic authority that either they have outgrown, which sometimes they feel, or a mysterious reality that I'm seeking, or even some would say it's the opiate of the masses who are stuck in simplicity. They can't think on a higher level, right? Strength and weaknesses to this stage as well, depth, honesty, sensitivity to suffering, even ironic humor, which I think you can call a strength. Weakness is that it's cynical, sometimes uncommitted, often withdrawn, critical, and can be, well, it can be elitist, right? We all have somebody who's left the faith who thinks you're stupid for staying in it. Sorry to use that word, but they do sometimes, right? Oftentimes they've moved from simplicity to perplexity. They've skipped complexity altogether and have no time for it. But then there's a stage four, right? And by the way, these stages are not necessarily linear. They have a tendency to overlap quite a bit, right? But... A place that is kind of beautiful, and I do like McLaren's understanding of this, is harmony, right? So stage four seeks first the kingdom of God. Love God, love your neighbors. In essentials, let's find unity. And those things that are not essential, let's not worry about it so much, but let's make sure we figure out what is essential, what is elemental, right? The focus becomes, again, maybe beyond right or wrong, but to wise or unwise, Which sounds something like what Paul says, right? All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Um, You know, the motive is to serve and to contribute, to make a difference. The perception of the world is very integrated and very sympathetic. We understand not everything's black or white, and so we have to learn how to live in the tension of that. The beliefs is that some things are known, but many things are mysteries. Life is this quest of discovery. But one of the things that in harmony you begin to understand is that there's no them. It's not us or them. It is God and all of us, and we're all seeking it together. They have a tendency to take a look at authorities as people like us, right? They're imperfect, sometimes doing their best, sometimes less than their best, or less than honest, sometimes even misguided, but still contributing. If you were to ask the question of what God is, we would say God is knowable in part, mysterious, present and transcendent, just yet merciful, right? We hold these truths in tension, which is paradoxy, right? And we've talked about that. We've talked about negative and positive poles, right? There's something about living in that tension that when you can find harmony within it is a pretty beautiful place. Now, are there strengths and weaknesses? Of course. A strength would be they may exhibit The strengths of the previous stages, plus some stability, endurance, and hopefully some wisdom, right? Um, A weakness that they may display some of the weaknesses of the other stages of faith as well. And what's funny is that when you think about it, you know, you, you get to this place and you go, oh, well, harmony becomes the new simplicity, right? And this new simplicity then encounters some complexity, which enters into a new perplexity. And eventually, one becomes less aware of the stages and struggle, and more aware of the learning, the life, and the love. So, why do we ask? Why, why do I tell you about the stages of faith? Right? Why do you need to do that? And by the way, tons of stuff out there. I suggest you read a bunch. Go all the way from you know, go all the way from Kierkegaard stuff through Fowler stuff. I think there's some really great and phenomenal things out there. But why would we talk about this? And why do we need this to understand this for deconstruction at this point? What is the point? Uh, Two reasons. Number one, because you bring yourself to it. So understanding kind of where you are. Are you about ready to let go? Are you just perplexed by this whole thing and you're just done with it? Are you seeking harmony? Are you just learning about the complexity and understanding? Like one time, if you remember this, I talked about the seven different atonement theories. I had so many people come up to me afterwards and say to me, Pastor Tim, I had no idea there were so many different theories of atonement. I thought there was just one. And I don't know which one I'm at. So now I got to think about it. And they were almost like bothered, but also kind of excited for the opportunity to think about these different things. So when we understand where we are in the stages of faith, or at least have a little bit of an understanding that there are stages, we can go, okay, this is, I'm going to be deconstructing this way a little bit. And secondly, I think it's important to know because Jesus deconstructed, right? And this is often difficult for us to understand. There's, in research, In research, I came across a lot of stuff where there's people who are definitely saying Jesus never deconstructed anything, right? And other people who are like, Jesus deconstructed everything. Probably a mixture of the two, (laughs) right? But there's one time in Scripture where he said some things. And it sounded very deconstructionist, but also reconstructionist. And it happened almost parallel. It happened like at the same time. So Matthew 5. Sermon on the Mount. We know this story, right? Jesus is there. He's talking to these people. He spends a lot of time talking to these people. And there's this particular text where he begins to say things that sound like this. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. All right. We're familiar with these texts. We don't like them. But in one fell swoop, Jesus had a tendency to deconstruct the old understanding and gave it new life and understanding. And he did it that quickly right? It's much broader, more inclusive, and the onus rests on us rather than the law to understand the morality in which we are going to live and the ethics in which we are going to live. He redefines our relationship with sin. He redefines our relationship with the law, and he does it all at the drop of a hat, just immediately. He says, you've heard what they say, but now you got to think differently. And that's very deconstructive, Right, you've heard it said. This is the setup. What we know to be true is about to be redefined. Are you prepared for that? Not undermined, but redefined. See, the fear everyone has with deconstruction is that you're going to a fall out of faith. You're going to b not believe in anything. You're going to c you know look look at the look at the world for what it is, and then assume that everything's bad. Like, hey, happens sometimes. But Jesus said. There's a particular way that you've looked at things for a long time. But I say, you need to look at them in a different way. And that's what deconstruction is, finding a different vantage point sometimes, finding a different opportunity and a different way to look at things. Remember, if truth is a person, then the words that that person says makes a difference. Jesus, then, redefines our understanding of sin of the law and of what supersedes the law. We see conscience being adhered to. We see the Holy Spirit leading and a deeper understanding of what it means to love God and love one another, right? But depending on where you are in your developmental stage of faith, it impacts our understanding of these words. Because if you're in a simplistic faith and you hear Jesus say, you've heard it said, don't kill. But I tell you, don't even be angry. What you've done is you've taken that don't even be angry and made that into a new law. But I don't think Jesus was trying to redefine the law. Jesus was trying to expand the law. Say, hey, don't live in that state. That's not where you want to be. That's not going to be healthy for you. It's not going to be healthy for other people. Right? When you're in harmony, you can get that. That's beautiful. When you're in perplexity, you're like, ah, what does that even mean? Complexity, you realize, oh, man, everybody here is going to be defining that in a little bit of a different way. Right? By the way, we don't all live in harmony all the time. I don't. I'd love to. We know people who kind of lean towards that. and It's beautiful. But, you know, of all the words, if you're looking for authority, right? If you're looking for the right and wrong, you're going to find it. If you're looking for complexity, you're definitely going to find it. If you're looking to be confused, you're going to be confused. If you're looking for the greatest love, well, that's there too. You see, we sometimes talk about faith as a journey, right? The road. But the truth is every faith journey includes the person walking on it. That's obvious, but true. These words in Scripture are not disembodied. They are the words of Jesus. But the ears that hear it, yours and mine, have brains in between them. So we matter to the understanding of Scripture as well. Understanding our own faith journey is important in the grand scheme of understanding faith. So the question becomes, I suppose, how well do you know your own faith journey? In order not to simply fall out of faith, you need to understand the complexity and the perplexity and the simplicity and the harmony that is you. Faith is not disembodied. Faith is incarnate right? It has skin on it. And that skin is you. And that skin is Jesus. It is in you and it lives through you. It is in Jesus and it lives through Jesus. So we have to find a place where we can have these conversations, acknowledging where we are. If you're in a small group, I think this is a great question. Hey, where do you think you are in McLaren's stages of faith? Or Pick another stages of faith, whatever one you like better. Where do you think you are? And how do you think that shades the way you see the world and you see faith and you see Jesus? I think owning that is really important. And I want to say this. I want to say, and this church is a safe place to do it in. But I'm not going to say that because of all the different campuses and all the different groups, I can't guarantee that for you because every person and every group is made up of different people. But I can say this, I want this church to be the safe place for you to have these conversations. I don't ever want you to be in a conversation with someone and they go, well, you're just wrong and you shouldn't even be here. I want the answers to all your questions to be, I don't know either. Or, hey, this is what I've discovered. Or, I used to think, and then I learned... And now I believe. See, that's a really important phrase that we don't lean into nearly as much because we can change our minds. We may believe something like this today and tomorrow have learned something else that changes the way we understand. I used to think that way. And then I learned. And now I believe. Learn to get that into your vocabulary so that this can be a safe place to have these conversations. Because the truth is, We're all on this journey, not all on the same roads, not all on the same paths, hopefully heading for the right destination. But we've got to help each other along the way. And that means honest, open, and sometimes dangerous conversations, but held within the safety and the loving arms of Jesus. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, I just want to thank you I want to thank you for the mystery and I want to thank you for the journey that we have to discover who you are. And Lord, if we don't come to a real great understanding until we see you again, let us enjoy the mystery knowing that it all leads to a greater love, a greater love that you have for us and a greater love that we have for others. May we live in that space knowing that. In your name I pray, amen.